uh, I want to highlight two things about this text to help us hear it. It is a, a longer scripture text that she's going to be reading, and, and sometimes when we hear a longer section of scripture, uh, it, it takes a little bit for us to pay attention to. We're not used to that type of, of text being read uh, as long as this one is this morning. And so two things to give us uh, kind of clues as we listen in. One is, this is a wisdom text. It follows a pattern very similar to Psalm 1 and, and some of the passages in the book of Proverbs. In, in other words, what it's trying to do is, it starts off by saying, don't live like this. Instead, live like this. And so throughout this text, you hear, and it feels at times almost like a ping-pong game going on, back and forth. Don't live like this. Live this way. So that's one. We have that in our minds, that this is a wisdom text. It fits very well with Psalm 1 and the idea of how do we live to please God and how do we leave behind the ways, uh, the ways of the world. And so there's a contrast happening. The other thing is that this text does not stand alone in the book of Ephesians. It is wrapped into the bigger story of this letter. And for us to hear these words calling us into a new way of living, we need to recognize that the whole first three chapters of Ephesians were about God's grace. God's abundant grace lavished on us in Jesus Christ. God acted to rescue us and to save us from our sins. God pulled us out of the death we were in and gave us a new life as a gift. And so this is saying, how do we live in the gift that God has given us? So it's a word of grace, even though it feels a little bit like law at times. Okay? If you would like to join with me in the prayer preceding the reading of scripture, I am going to use the prayer that is in our hymnal, Lift Up Your Hearts, number 756. It is written as a responsive prayer, and you are welcome to join me. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I'm starting in chapter 4 at verse 17, which can be found on page 1821 in your pew Bible. So if you care to join me in the responsive prayer, it is number 756. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. That verse, uh, wake up, O sleeper, for the light of Christ shines on you, always brings a memory back to me. I was um, a little bit younger than my son, Nate, here, so I was in in high school, and we were, uh, I went to the evening service with my dad and our next-door neighbor, both of whom happened to be elders, and I was sitting between the two of them, and somewhere after the minister started preaching, I fell asleep. And the minister called me out from the pulpit, and I got elbows from both sides. He actually said, Chris, wake up! It's one of those moments as a kid that just sticks in your mind. Makes you love church all the more as a kid, right? Yeah. This passage is Paul attempting to say to the Ephesians, how do we live out this grace that God has given us? How do, we, how do we take this abundant grace that's been lavished on us and start living it? And, and he doesn't do it in an abstract way here. Uh, until now, Paul's been talking about big concepts. He, he's talked about the unity of the church throughout all time and, and place. It's the unity of God's people. And he's He's preached about that to them. And he's, he's talked to them about how God's salvation in Jesus Christ was, was from the beginning of time and, and how he's made that known through time. And, and it speaks to the angels in the spiritual realms. And, and it's stuff that's, that's often way up here. We can nod our heads and go, that's good. And then Monday morning comes. And we're like, now what? Why actually live out this grace? What's it look like? To help us enter into that space, I I want us to think for a few minutes and and just recall to ourselves, so you don't have to share this with anybody else, but think of a moment where you were incredibly frustrated because of the way somebody else talked to you. You're pained, you're hurt, you're frustrated, you're angry, you don't know what to do. Think of a moment where the words of somebody else really negatively shaped you. I want you to go the other direction. This may be a little harder and take a little bit more honesty on your part. Think of a moment where your words negatively hurt somebody else. They impacted somebody else, triggered anger or frustration in them that that the things you said weighed heavily on someone else. 
the weight that we feel in those moments that heaviness and that pain that that anger those those emotions coming up this text is speaking into them if you listen to about half of the verses in here they they speak to things like how we talk to one another don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth speak to one another with truth it it reframes the way we talk and it struck me as I read this because normally when we talk about sins and we talk about brokenness and we talk about things that are in our lives we jump to other other sins we jump to sexual sins typically in our culture those are kind of up here on the top and and we jump to things like violence and 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 murder and, and we, we name those. Those are the real big sins that we've got to pay attention to. And yet by weight in this text, what Paul chooses to go after and say if grace is going to mean anything, it's going to get into our lives by getting into the ways we talk with one another. Our words, our, our actions towards one another through the spoken word all of a sudden become very important. It becomes central to working out this grace of Christ, how we are going to speak to one another. The text doesn't stop there, of course, but it's an interesting point to start at. How do we talk with one another? How many of us have said something about someone else in the church we wish we could take back. You're bold enough to admit it. You're in good company. Right? That's what this text is going after. The unity that comes before this, this great vision of unity, all God's people, we did it last week. If you weren't here, you missed us talking in Southern to each other. The all y'alls. All y'alls together, all of us together are wrapped into the unity of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We are made one together. Our unity speaks and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if we're going to live in that unity and that grace, it comes after something right away. The way we speak about one another. Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going. So we'll keep that in mind. Here's a few other things that he highlights in this text. Get rid of anger. How many have mastered that? Anybody? If you have, I'd like to talk to you and learn from you. Right? We get home from a, a day at work and, and one of our kids come up to us and, and they're just wanting our attention and they grab our arms, right? And we're like, ah, oh, give me a minute. Right? It's simple things like that. But some of it's even deeper, isn't it? It's that resentment that builds up over time because things aren't going the way we expected them to. We felt like we deserve that raise at work and it didn't happen. We felt like we should have had a better life because of all the things we've done right. And yet we feel like somehow we're getting shortchanged. We've sacrificed so much so our kids could grow up. And that's what we want to do. 
We feel that anger that just sits there. Or maybe it's because something has been done to us and we feel the weight of having been harmed by another and we can't get to a place of forgiving someone and that anger sits there with us, shaping our conversations, shaping our attitudes, shaping the way we even look at someone else. We may not say it, we may say, yeah, I got no problem, everything's fine. But the other person looks at us and goes, wow, there's anger on their face. Get rid of anger. Don't steal. All right, well, maybe most of us don't walk around stealing. Maybe it's not something that we ordinarily do or, or ever do. But listen to the contrast that comes with it. Instead, work so that you can give to others. I work so we can pay bills. (laughs) I work so that we can afford a vacation in the summer, right? I work so that we can set some money aside and have a decent retirement and, and be able to take care of ourselves. That's why I work. But this text actually can conveys a different vision for working. Don't work just for yourself. Work so that you have the capacity to give, to be generous. The implication is God has been generous to you. Work and structure your life in such a way so that you can be generous to others. It's quite a challenge. It's not just our speech. It's not just that internal attitude of of anger or, or joy. It is the way we work is affected by this grace. There's a few more things in this passage, a lot more actually. There's a, there's a whole list here. Get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, every form of malice. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to get rid of every thought that you have that's negative towards someone else whether it's a classmate at school, whether it's a brother or sister, whether it's a parent, or, or just someone you happen to meet in the grocery store who has a crappy attitude that day. And you get that welling up. How do we let that go? How do we live with grace? And then it throws this in there as the contrast to all that. Instead, be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, isn't that a fun guilt trip? Forgive others as Christ forgave I can't do that. I'm not God. How many of us have thought that? No sexual immorality. Statistics today say 90 plus percent of men 18 and over look at pornography at least once a year. Statistics tell us now that it's around 20% of all pornography users are actually women. There are huge things about sexual immorality in our culture today. We live in that environment, in that context. How about impurity of all kinds and greed? I can remember one time seeing a a list of, of potential elders at a church. And what was highlighted in there was how successful they were in their businesses. Nothing was said about their spiritual character. Nothing was said about 
the way they cared for others or compassion towards other people. Nothing was said about whether they participated in spiritual disciplines and how they were growing in the Lord. It was just simply they've run this business for the last few years and been an outstanding member of our community. And part of me went, wow. What we're celebrating is not the character of Christ being formed in people, but their business acumen and that being the qualification for leading in the church. What would it look like for us to get rid of all greed and the celebration of greed in our culture? No obscenity, no foolish talk or coarse joking, rather thanksgiving. Last one it confronts is empty words and flattery. That way of speaking to someone else so that you impress them and get them on your side and kind of manipulate them through kind words so that they'll do what you want them to do. Anyone feeling a heaviness yet? You hear all these commands. You hear all these ways being put out there. And, and as I was reading the text this week, multiple times over, I wanted to put it down. In fact, a couple times, I didn't even read it all the way through the text. I'm like, come on! You just told us about grace, and now you heap all these things on us that we can't do. We can't do it all. I can try maybe for a day not to, not to be angry. And I work hard at it. But something slips out. Sometimes it, I just... Ah. And that's the reality we live in. This call to follow Christ, this call to live out in response to the grace actually demands a lot of us. And our first reaction to hearing it is, is almost a helplessness. Almost a, God, you set us free from one set of laws and you threw us into another set that we can't keep either. We can't do it. There's a few words of grace, however, in this text. Words of grace that remind us we're not on our own. That actually invite us to receive these new commands as an entrance into freedom. As a freedom from a way of life and a freedom from things we were never created for. And I want us to hear those words carefully. Chapter 4. That, however, this is at verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Goes on to say a couple verses later, you were created, you were created in righteousness and holiness. The truth about Jesus is not that we have more work to do. Not that we have to put on some way of impressing God now that he saved us from ultimate destruction. Not that we have to somehow figure out how to live more righteously on our own. The truth in Jesus Christ is that God has forgiven us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. That God has set us free from those things in which we have used to live. 
and instead ushered us into a new way, not just ushered us in, created us in holiness and righteousness. Paul, in another letter writing to another group of Christians, to the Corinthians, said, He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, the radical nature of the good news of God in Jesus Christ is that the sin that we have lived in and the sins that we will commit have been wrapped up in Jesus Christ on the cross. They are no longer ours to bear. The guilt and the shame, the, the fear that comes with them, that hiding that Adam and Eve first did in the garden. You remember? They do that sin of, of taking the fruit they weren't supposed to, of hiding out in the garden when they were supposed to go to the ends of the earth. And, and they take that fruit and then they hear the footsteps of God and what do they do? They run and they hide. And Paul's saying, you were created in Christ Jesus for a whole new way of life that's marked by righteousness, not by hiding. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will fall. Yes, you will continue to do things that you ought not to do. But God's grace doesn't stop just on the day you said, forgive me, Lord, the first time. God's grace has been created to hold you. In fact, you've been created in the midst of God's grace. The fabric of our reality is no longer defined by our sins, but by the abundance of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And the first word is, you were created in this righteousness, in this holiness of Christ. Your identity is no longer caught up in your sin. It's caught up in God's righteousness. There's freedom there. Freedom not to worry about whether or not we're impressing people. Freedom not to worry about whether or not we have to defend ourselves and our character in front of others. Freedom, freedom simply to receive this gift of grace. There's a second freedom that comes. It's chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. I think the older NIV says, live, in, live the life of love. The words behind it echo back to something in chapter 2. Chapter 2 said, you were walking in sin. In fact, you were walking in death. And we talked this fall about that walking in death. Is, it's kind of like you're a living dead. You're a zombie because of your sins. But you have been ushered in and, and given in Christ by God's example, this whole new life to live into. It's a life to be walked into. It's a life to be explored. And it's a life not defined by competition, by the freedom to love one another freedom to love. Think back, not to Adam and Eve, but to their kids. Think what happened there with Cain and Abel. Do you remember that story? They were coming to worship, and, and they were bringing sacrifices in, and Abel brought the sacrifice full of first fruits, and, and, and the offering of his, his was to, to recognize God's goodness and to celebrate and bring before God the best that he had, and there was this joy there. And Cain, Cain came kind of hard, half-heartedly 
He walked in and said, here's some of what you've given me, God. I'll give you a little bit back. And, and God said to him, Cain, sin's crouching at your door. You're being tempted to, to turn against your brother and choose hatred over love. This competition you feel to try and impress me and, and be better than everybody else, let it go. Choose love instead, and Cain didn't. He killed his brother Abel. But here, here we're being given this opportunity, this freedom to walk in love and not in competition. God says to us, you're my children. You're my children. I love you. You don't need to compete for my affection. You don't need to show yourself to be more righteous than the person next to you. You don't need to impress me. I love you already. I mentioned earlier in the service that today is, is Epiphany Sunday, and, and one of the texts is the Magi text that we read. The other is the baptism of Jesus. Do you know what happened on that baptism day? And Jesus is baptized, and as he's immersed underwater, by John the Baptist, he comes up and, and heaven's torn apart. And God descends, as, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove. And, and John witnesses that and says, yes, this is the Messiah. But Jesus hears something that the crowds don't hear. Jesus hears God the Father saying, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Because we have been created in Christ Jesus that word from God is now a word to us. You are my child in whom I am well pleased. It is God's word of grace. In the midst of all these commands, in the midst of calling us into a new way of life, God gives us this reassurance. Whether you are able to keep these commands or not is not the point. The central point is that I love you. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased before you have done anything before you have kept any of my commands I love you you are mine how many of us need to hear that not just once in our life but again and again and again God loves us he is well pleased with us not because of what, he is, what we have done or not done, not because we've been able to faithfully keep the laws or because we flaunted the laws, not because of anything in us. God chooses us because he is a God who loves us. And he says, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. What is it to hear that word of grace? in the midst of calling us into a new way of living. His final word then, starting in verse 15 of chapter 5, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. 
How many of you can sing when your heart's heavy? But how many of us can sing when we experience that profound love of God in Jesus Christ? How many of us, as we hear that good news and as we feel that good news seeping into us, can't help but respond with joy? Can't help but respond with thanksgiving? Can't help but singing even though we can't carry a tune? We feel those songs whelming up within us. God loves me. Perhaps that's the profoundness of the song we were singing with the kids last week and this week. Jesus loves me, this I know. It's a hard word for us to sing. I, I would challenge us to stand in front of a mirror. You can shut the bathroom door. You can wait till your spouse or roommate is out of the house. Your kids are gone. But shut the bathroom door, look in the mirror, and sing that song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then find someone else. Find someone else that you can write a note to, that you can send a quick email or Facebook post to, that you can, you can just mention briefly to them in passing. Jesus loves you, this I know. Jesus loves you, this I know. Jesus loves you, this I know. Turn that around as you experience that good news and that grace. Turn it around to say those around you, Jesus loves you. This I know. The heart of this text is not the weight of the commands. It is the depth of God's love. The heart of this passage and this new way of living is not the, all the things we have to do. It is all the things God has already done that usher us in and invite us to live a life of grace and freedom. Freedom from trying to prove ourselves sexually. Freedom from trying to prove ourselves with our words that we're somehow better and more important, more intelligent than anybody else. Freedom from trying to defend ourselves and think about only of ourselves. Freedom from all those things that lead to a selfish and broken and lonely life. And a freedom because of God's grace in Jesus Christ to live a thankful life. Did you notice that summary at the end? Those last words of this long passage? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we live in response to this grace? How do we work this grace out day in and day out? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Because God's love is true. God really does love us. In Jesus Christ, he really has saved us from our sins and given us a whole new way of life that we couldn't access on our own. Thankfulness. As a way of helping us enter into that thankfulness, we're going to close with a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a prayer shaped around the Ten Commandments. I'll read the law the words of the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to invite you as the congregation to respond with words of praise and thanksgiving to God for the new life that's given to us through these commands. Please pray with me. 
And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All this we pray for the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the full unity of God's people, and the flourishing of God's kingdom. Amen.